Welcome to Untangle, the podcast from Meditation Studio. I'm Patricia Carbis. In this series, we introduce you to real people with extraordinary stories and experts who share how meditation and mindfulness practices change our lives. Our podcast is brought to you by Meditation Studio, Apple's pick as one of the 10 best apps of the year. Why download the app? Because life is messy. We get stressed, anxious, have trouble sleeping, work too hard, feel overwhelmed, deal with conflict, get our hearts broken, worry about the state of the world. We meditate because we're human. Our app gives you hundreds of meditations from over 30 leading experts. It helps a lot. And your one-time purchase of the app helps to keep our podcast going. Give it a try. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. We love having you with us. Today, we were lucky to have a discussion with Harvard neuroscientist, Sarah Lazar. Sarah is a leading researcher in the meditation field and one of the first to show that meditation practice really does produce structural changes in the brain. She shares that four regions of the brain are impacted, and they are those that influence memory, focus, mood, and stress. She's even seen some changes in the aging of our brains, which is super exciting. Sarah's a meditator herself and has seen some pretty great changes in her own life as a result. I love discussing the science behind meditation and hearing proof positive that our meditation practice can be such a powerful force in our lives. And if you don't notice changes right away, Sarah suggests that you ask the people around you and see if they see a difference. You might be surprised. Now... Here's Sarah. Sarah, thank you so much for being on Untangle today. We're so happy to have you. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah. Let's just dive into some of the research that you've done. I'd love if you could just share the results on how meditation actually changes our brains. Yeah, no, the data is really interesting. So what we did is we took people who had never meditated before and we scanned them before and after an eight-week meditation class and we compared them to people who were scanned eight weeks apart who were interested in the meditation class, but we just scanned those people eight weeks apart before they went through the class. And so we could see what was happening because of the meditation class and what was happening just because of the passage of time. And what we found is that the people going through the meditation class, there were changes in several brain regions compared to the group of people who were just being scanned eight weeks apart. There was four or five brain regions that we found. The first region we found is a region called the hippocampus, which is a very important part of the brain involved in memory. And it got bigger. And that is consistent with, there's been numerous studies showing that meditation actually helps memory improve. And so we think that might be related to that. We also found an increase in the part of the brain that is related to mind wandering. And it's the part of the brain that is destroyed in Alzheimer's disease, which of course the hallmark of Alzheimer's disease is not being able to stay focused and mind wandering. And so it's destroyed in Alzheimer's and it gets bigger with meditation. So we think that's consistent with less mind wandering and being better able to stay focused on the present moment. Another region we found to increase was an area of the brainstem in the area where a lot of dopamine and serotonin and the neurotransmitters are produced. And these are the molecules that sort of regulate mood and appetite and alertness. So I think there's relations, reasons why, and that may be part of the reason why we had those sorts of changes with meditation. And the final change we found was a decrease in the amygdala. 
And that was correlated with the change in stress. So the more stress reduction people reported, the smaller their amygdala became. So that's consistent with less stress and anxiety. That's amazing. So you just covered memory, focus, mood, and stress, which yeah. is, I mean, those are such life-changing things. I mean, you did this for, with mindfulness meditation, correct? Yeah. Yep. Could you extrapolate that to other forms of meditation or have you studied any other types of meditation? Right. That's the only thing we've done with imaging in terms of pre-post. We've also done a few studies with long-term meditation practitioners and long-term yoga practitioners. Mm-hmm. And what we see is that in the long-term practitioners, there's a lot of similarity. There were some subtle differences between yoga and meditation, but they were, overall, they were pretty similar. We think that that's likely to be the case, that we like to think of meditation sort of like mental exercise, sort of like you know running versus swimming versus playing golf. All of them have very sort of similar generic benefits, but there may be slight differences in terms of, okay, one's a little bit better for your arms, one's a little bit better for your legs, or you know, the exact muscle groups that get exercised or that sort of thing. There's going to be slight differences, but the overall general effects are going to be pretty similar across all the different types of meditation and yoga. Do you think it is mostly about being still and focusing on a single object like the breath that's actually having the impact on the brain? That's definitely a central part of it, we think, yeah. It's the idea is that, because normally, of course, our mind wanders, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's the noticing, oh, my mind has wandered, and then bringing it back. And so that's the attention and the focus is because you have to be aware that you're not lost in daydream to be constantly monitoring what your mind is actually doing and to keep it on track because our mind very quickly wanders off in other directions. So that's a lot of it, certainly. Then you're also practicing being relaxed and alert. And so that's another part of it. You're practicing being alert and relaxed. And so the parts of the brain that are important for being relaxed and alert are going to become stronger. Do you think you would have the same results if you had done this like 50 years ago when we weren't such sort of heavy multitaskers and technology. Oh, focus. I think so, yeah. We really think it's the effect of the meditation. And that's what we see, you know, or at least with the monks and what not claim is that it can, you know, we're just scratching the surface. This is eight weeks and that when you look at the long-term practitioners that often you see even more results, you know, that there's even, you know, additional advantages. So it's, it's not like it's, it's, it's improving within the range of normal, but then the monks can get in, out of the range of normal and into really high levels of attention and memory. Right. Do you think that there are some meditation practices that are better for pain, for example, versus depression or anxiety? And and what are some of the results that you've seen around certain conditions like that? Right. So right now there's no real data comparing meditation A versus meditation B for particular conditions. Okay. So, and again, sort of like exercise at this point, it's all like, just like all exercise is sort of generally good for your health. You know, all meditation is generally good for your mental health and stress. We do know, for instance, like weight bearing versus not weight bearing and cardio versus, you know, other forms that there are subtle differences. And what we think is that, again, there's going to be those sorts of subtle effects, but we haven't gotten there yet. And at this point, when I get those sorts of questions, what I tell people is, so again, sort of like exercise that, you know, some people love to swim, some people hate swimming. Some people love to golf, some people hate golfing. Mm-hmm. So try a couple different styles of meditation, see what you like. Um, see what sort of teachers you like and, you know, start practicing because that's probably going to be the most bang for your buck is if you just, if you like it, enjoy it and you stick with it. Right. And do you think that sticking with it means doing a daily practice or do you have a recommendation on the amount of time that people should 
be meditating? Yeah. So the classes pretty much across the board suggest 30 to 40 minutes a day of practice. And of course, there's a lot of variability. The people who aim for 30 to 40 minutes a day seem to have the best outcome. Mm-hmm. You know, again, sort of like exercise. If you miss a day or two, it's not the end of the world. You know, just get back at it. You know, some days maybe you can only do five, 10 minutes. That's okay. Do what you can, but aim for 30 to 40 minutes per day. What do you say to people who don't feel results right away or don't notice them? And, and what I'm thinking mm-hmm. about is someone asked me once, do I need to sort of have faith that this is ultimately going to work? How do I trust the process? Yeah, you should be seeing results, noticeable results. Maybe not in the first day or two, but certainly within the first month, you or the people around you should notice a difference. And if not, then we'll come back to that if you're not. So generally speaking, because sometimes, yeah, people don't notice much of a difference, but then they talk to their friends and their friends and family like, oh God, yeah, you're completely different. Like they don't necessarily see it, Mm -hmm. but people around them see it. So definitely first check with people around you and see if they've noticed a difference. If not, I hear a lot of people, because there's a lot of apps out there right now and books and, you know, web pages and whatnot. So a lot of people try to practice on their own and they've never gone to a teacher and, you know, they're just sort of doing something. If it's the case that you're not seeing a difference and your friends aren't seeing a difference. I would say talk with a teacher and really work with a real teacher because there are sometimes important things that you might be missing, you know, mm-hmm. or that you're not practicing in quite the right way. There really is no substitute for a good teacher. People just find a teacher in their local communities or... Just- yeah. And there's some teachers who are teaching online now. Like I know these eight-week meditation-based courses, there's a lot of teachers who do those online now, including the Center for Mindfulness, I believe, is now doing them online. Yeah. Yeah. Which is and I great. think that that's really helpful to give people the basics. You know, it sort of depends what someone's coming to meditate for and sort of what expectations you might associate with meditation. Sure. For example, when you first started, I remember listening to one of your interviews and you mentioned that people around you noticed some changes in you. Right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And that was, definitely I was calmer and I was less (laughs) reactive. And I noticed them too. You know, definitely people, yeah, because I went actually, because I started doing yoga as a form of physical therapy. And then my yoga teacher happened to include five minutes of meditation at the end of class. And I really like the meditation. That's when you know, I sort of started meditating more. And now I do both, but it's mostly meditation now. Good yoga is meditation, though it's hard to find a good yoga teacher. <laughs> um, yeah, 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 so true. Yeah. And so I think it's, it kind of doesn't matter. I don't think too much why you start practicing because I think they sort of have a common goal, a common end, yeah. if you will. Yeah. I mean, we hear, even with our app meditation studio, we hear people saying that, they've seen changes in their anxiety or even sleep patterns really quickly, which is it's yeah. so great to hear that kind of reaction. Yeah. Will you talk a little bit more about, I know so many people are interested in this, how meditation actually can help in like sort of reversing the aging of our brains? Right. Well, we don't know how it's doing it, but we, there's growing evidence that it is doing it. We've done a couple of studies and a few other labs have done studies where they've just they found <laughs> serendipitously that with long-term meditation practitioners, you know, the really long-term practitioners that their brains look like younger people's brains. And there is some evidence that they're actually improving with age in some cases. There's a 
one study that used some monks and the monks, it looked like the monks with the most experience had much better brains than, you know, so it seems like it's not even just as preserving it, that it may actually be enhancing brain structure with aging, um, which is really fantastic. So, yeah. but our data definitely clearly shows that brain structure is being preserved with aging. And also the, because we looked at fluid intelligence, which is a fancy name for IQ. It's well known that IQ sort of goes with age as their brain starts to fall apart, basically. <laughs> you know, we get a little slower and a little less able to do those hard problems. And the long-term yoga and meditation practitioners, their IQ is preserved with age, which is really, you know, that's never been reported before. There really is some real evidence out there now that it really does have these long-term benefits. That's so exciting, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Have you done any research with kids in terms of integrating mindfulness into schools and into mm-hmm. daily lives of kids and seen different progress in school? Right. I have not done that research, but I know there's quite a bit of it out there. And definitely, yeah, no, kids can benefit for sure. And I've heard a lot of anecdotal stories from high schoolers about how the high schoolers are, you know, they're like, if they've got a test, they'll go somewhere quiet and they practice for five minutes before the test. You know, there's a couple of things about, you know, bullies sort of not bullying people so much anymore. Like, and they sort of realizing that they were bullied and they stopped doing it. Interpersonal relationships, dealing with all sorts of stresses of, of high school, that sort of thing. And I think it applies to adults too, is because of the lessons that come with learning mindfulness around compassion and kindness and listening and, you know, sort of those core skills. I mean, a big part of what happens with yoga and meditation is you start to see your own mind habits. The way I like to explain it is, you know, you can see other people's behavior and you see, and you think about how many times you said, wow, doesn't that person see that what they're doing is mean or hurtful or stupid or, you know, whatever, you fill in the blank with your favorite adjective. And of course they don't. We do all sorts of things and we don't see... I mean, we've got blind spots. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we don't see that we're saying something silly, that, we're, that what we're saying or doing is hurting someone's feelings. We just, we literally don't recognize it. What meditation does is it helps us sort of step back and sort of see ourselves almost as if someone outside of ourselves. Mm-hmm. We start to see all these things that everyone else has seen you know, all along. And we, so we start to really see ourselves in a whole new way. And I think that's really a big part of it is also is that just becoming more aware of like your mind's habits and all the things that we sort of overlook in our own psyche and our own habit patterns. We improve our self-awareness, maybe learn some self-inquiry tools to understand ourselves better. Mm-hmm. Is there ever like a, like a law of diminishing returns? I mean, I kind of wonder this sometimes when I hear from people who are at retreats and for a long time and they start to kind of dwell a little bit more in some of the muck Ah. in silence. And, and I wonder what the teaching is around that. Yeah, no, if they're dwelling in the muck, then they need to talk to the teacher. And the idea is that muck is definitely going to come up. That's for sure. But that, you know, the teachings really explain to you how to deal with it. The idea is you don't dwell on it. You let it, you work with it specifically in very specific ways so that it gets released. And so then it's no longer, you know, it's, it's spring cleaning. Right. Um, and it really is. I mean, there's all sort of all your old issues, you know, sort of get brought up and thrown out, you know, one by one. But yeah, if you're sitting there dwelling on them, then you're not doing it the right way. What's your actual practice like? And how would you describe Sarah before and Sarah after? <laughs> well, it's been 20 years. So it's hard okay. to know. You know, definitely I'm more relaxed. I'm more calm. I definitely see more of my stuff. It's not 
Well, I still have issues, obviously, right? We all do. But you know, there's a lot fewer of them. They're less intense, that whole thing. I'm definitely a calmer, kinder person than I was before I started. And I saw changes happening pretty quickly. You know, even within the first, you know, few weeks, few months, I saw changes starting to happen. But habit patterns are hard to break. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and life happens. And that's the thing is, you know, in the middle of all that, I had a kid. <laughs> that sort of makes it difficult to practice sometimes. Yeah. So definitely I go through periods where I'm practicing more and practicing less and practice periods where I'm not practicing at all, basically. I've definitely gone through those periods. Other periods where I'm practicing extensively, I've gone on retreats. So I'd say my practice is all over the place in terms of amount and frequency and whatnot. And it's all good. Yeah, <laughs> um, right. Definitely there's times when you get stuck for one reason or another. You know, but other times where things are just flowing beautifully you know, and lots of self-awareness is happening and lots of change and transformation is happening. And well, again, sort of like exercise, it sort of, it comes and goes in waves. Yeah. What do you do personally when you get stuck? I talk to people or I read (laughs) and try to find stuff out. Sometimes it is just a a really big old thing. And sometimes it just takes time. And you just have to sit with it and sort of eventually, gradually, it breaks apart. But sometimes it takes time. Usually, you can still see progress. Like it's not... Like, you know, it's there, it's there, it's there. And all of a sudden, boop, one day it's gone. It's like, okay, it's there. And okay, it shifts a little bit. And so I do can see some progress happening. But sometimes it just, it takes a long time to work through it. And when you stop meditating, or if you stop meditating for whatever reason, you get like super busy or whatever, Mm -hmm. are the effects that you've had on your brain or even in your sort of personal... Uh, right. orientation, do they change or are they, are they permanent or right. do you have so, to keep meditating? Right. So the two good analogies. So one is you never forget to learn how to ride a bicycle, right? So right. there's something in there. There's some things that you learn and understand and see differently, which are, are never going to go away. There's other things again, but it's like exercise. And so there are some benefits that, you know, just like you, if you stop exercising, your muscle tone goes down. Mm-hmm. Some of the sharpness, some of those sort of benefits are going to diminish if you stop practicing or practice less. In terms of like the self awareness, like some of that, like once you understand yourself in a new way, you understand yourself in a new way and you see the world in a new way. And that doesn't really change how has your meditation practice and how do you think in general it helps us with relationships with one another, personal oh. relationships and work relationships. So we know how it you know, helps us with our self-awareness, self-inquiry, but then getting off yeah. the push and out into the world. How do you see Oh, that? definitely. Yeah, no, it's, it's an incredible impact. Because again, the less reactive, right? And so, you know, people say things and get in your face or whatever, you're just less reactive. Because when I started practicing, I was a grad student and there was another grad student who used to drive me absolutely nuts. And after I started practicing, that was one of the first times when I really realized that I, it was having an impact on me was she started saying and doing some things and I just laughed. <laughs> and oh. she normally I would have been like, ah, rah, rah, you know, and gone in her face and the whole thing. And I, I just laughed and I realized, huh, isn't that interesting? And, you know, that's what happened several more times of like, instead of being all bitchy at people, I, I just laughed. Now I'm a boss. And so again, it's definitely different in that, you know, people come in with their issues and I'm not reactive to that. I can just sit and listen to them and sort of people refer to it as the pause mm-hmm. as like normally I might just immediately react. Instead, you sort of pause and reflect and you're able to give a more adaptive answer rather than a, just a quick reaction. So yeah, just, you know, big emotional upheavals just don't bother me as much anymore. I mean, they do, but not in the same way. When the big events of your life happen, it's not that you don't feel the emotions, you do, but you're just not swayed by them. And again, it's sort of, the, I like the analogy of waves. It's like when the big wave comes along, 
instead of being carried by it and thrown into the surf, you know, into the sand, you just sort of bob along on the top of it and it mm-hmm. passes by. You still go up and down <laughs> with the wave, but you don't get smashed into the sand. You don't get crushed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What is your next big area of research that you're going to be looking at? Right. So our big project that's going on right now is aging. So before, like I said, we have all this data that suggests that it may help with aging. So we've always used young and middle-aged people. So right now we're recruiting people who are in their 60s and 70s. And we're seeing A, can they meditate? And B, does it help with their brain structure and function? So that's our main project going on right now. So it'll be a little while before we get any results on that. Then we also have a couple small projects in the lab. One's going on depression, but that's still pretty early. Actually, we just had one paper coming out from that because again, it has these impacts on cognition. And one of the issues with depression is that depression has a negative impact on cognition. And there is some evidence that suggests that one of the ways which meditation may help depression is because it boosts executive functions and attention and memory and these sorts of things. And that that's one of the ways in which it may be helping relieve depression. So that's one of the other projects we're working on right now. Oh, that's awesome. Will you be testing it against medication when you... Right now, not yet, but that is, there have been some studies like that. There was one big study which suggested that they were more or less equal. In fact, in England at this wow. point, it's considered um, in terms, well, actually not so much in terms of treating depression, but in maintaining once you're through the depression, initial period of depression, remaining depression-free. Because often people who are depressed, you treat them, they get better, but eventually they go back to feeling depressed. And if you add meditation, that is highly effective at helping people remain free of depression. At least in one study, it was superior to drugs after like a year, year and a half, or it was cheaper than drugs after a year, year and a half. Yeah. Because, you know, you don't need drugs anymore. Not everyone can get off the drugs. And that's important because some people feel like, okay, I'm going to start meditating. I don't need to take my depression and anxiety meds anymore. I would not recommend that. What's really important to stay on your meds because meditation is not a magic bullet. Some people are able to reduce their meds. Mm -hmm. Some people are able to get off their meds, but not everybody. It varies tremendously about the intensity of your medications, the intensity of your feelings, you know, and all sorts of other factors. It's definitely not a cure-all, but it can definitely certainly help reduce symptoms. Great. Well, we'll be so excited to see the research after you're finished with it. Sarah, thank you so much for being on Untangled today. Your insights are just amazing and we're going to stay in touch with you. Thank you. Thanks so much to Sarah for sharing her research and insights. For more on Sarah, you can visit Lazar Labs on the Harvard website or listen to her TED Talk. If you enjoyed this podcast, can you take a few minutes to rate and review it? It helps a lot. And if you have feedback or suggestions for guests, email me at patricia at meditationstudioapp.com. And don't forget to check out Meditation Studio in the App Store or on Google Play. We'll see you next time.